I came to the conclusion that at the end of the day, it's not money that makes me happy, but it's meeting people, going places, um, creating together with other people, developing ideas, creating magic moments. And that's basically, you know, when I decided that the salary was not going to be the one uh, decisive argument. Welcome to a new episode of Most Memorable Journeys. People often ask me where I get my, my guests from. How do you find these people, they sometimes say. You know, I'm also a coach and I know that there is a place in our brain which is called the reticular activating system. This is where we put our goals in. That tells us what we're looking for. So when I scroll in LinkedIn, my RAS knows what I'm looking for. And that's how I found this wonderful young lady that I am going to speak to today, because I was looking for somebody who became a flight attendant, but did something extraordinary before. So she is, she calls herself the flying lawyer. She's a lawyer and a notary public, and she's working in, she says, working in aviation, but we're going to talk about that. And she also says she has a thousand dreams. And that reminded me a little bit of a younger version of myself. Welcome to Most Memorable Journeys, Noemi Frischknecht. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. Thank you for this introduction. And I'm so glad to be here and looking so much forward to talking to you. I am excited. I have been thinking about this all day today. And I just want to say, how is it going? Uh, it's going very, very well. Um, so I've just completed my training, uh, which means that I'm fully qualified uh, to work on short haul and long haul flights. And uh, it's basically a new chapter of my life that has just started. And it's so exciting. And you are working for Swiss Airlines, right? That's correct, yes. And um, you were working before for Swiss Airlines, but in the position of a company lawyer? Yes, absolutely. So I have been with um, Swiss for the last four and a half years. I was uh, part of the legal department as a lawyer, and I was responsible for data protection and compliance, which is a totally different uh, job from the one that I'm doing now. Um, and it was uh, like a tremendous learning opportunity for me. I got to have so much responsibility to set up the whole um, data protection management system. Um, but after four and a half years, I just you know, felt that um, it was time for something else. And some time ago, I couldn't imagine really working as a flight attendant, but the, the idea kept on turning in my head. And after a long time of reflection, I was actually convinced that that was the right um, step to take for me. I am convinced that it's the right. I have been dreaming all my life to be a flight attendant. And I actually went for an interview with Lufthansa in 1987. And I had already been working as an as a tour guide for seven years. And they felt that I was overqualified at the time. There were a lot of uh, people available to do this. I believe that if I went today, they would probably employ me. But um, now I'm a little too old and I'm still... I. You know, there is this thing, I was talking to people about you that I'm going to interview and I was telling them, you know, this lady is a lawyer and, and I am so excited that you are doing that. And I, said, and I said, she became a flight attendant and people say, what? She was a lawyer and now she becomes, she became a flight attendant. How about the money? How about the money, Noemi? <laughs> well, um, it, it is a topic um, that I thought about a lot. Now, of course, the salary is different from the one that I got um, before. But, you know, I, I came to the conclusion that at the end of the day, it's not money that makes me happy, but it's 
meeting people, going places, um, creating together with other people, developing ideas, creating magic moments. And that's basically, you know, when I decided that the salary was not going to be the one uh, decisive argument. That is absolutely important. And, uh, you know, I was looking at your website, your peak performance website, and you have listed something there that I I like to talk about too. And those are the things that people regret on their deathbed. And they don't regret at, on their deathbed that they didn't earn more money. They regret the things that they didn't do, right? Exactly. That's how I see it. And, uh, you know, some, some years ago, I had a really defining moment, uh, a dark period of my life where I really realized that we have one single life. And it's not just a saying that you read in books, but it's actually true. And I, you know, I, I, I did not only know it, but I started to feel it. So I, um, I really decided for myself that I was not going to postpone my dreams, that I was really going to work for the realization of these dreams and, and my ideas and just try out things rather than just think about them for years. And then you never know when it's too late, right? You never know when it's too late. And you also never know how much time you have. You see, we have this arrogance of thinking that we're all going to live until we're 100. And maybe we are, we are, but maybe we're not. And I, I think postponing things is so wrong. It's just to wait until we're feeling better. Wait until, I don't know, wait until we've lost the weight. Wait until I don't know what. There are things, sometimes it's important to just do it. But we both know, because we're both also in a similar field, that there is a place called the comfort zone. The comfort zone is a place where our dreams go to die. And I think becoming a flight attendant after being a lawyer is definitely a huge step out of the comfort zone. Yes, it is. Um, and I also I realized, you know, uh, like the, the major uh, reason for people not to do something is fear. Mm -hmm. uh, fear that they might be too old, that they might be too young, that they might not make it financially, that they might be... Uh, radicalized in society. So it's a lot of fear holding us back. And that's where we build our comfort zone around, right? So we, we just, we feel very comfortable doing the things that we've always done, even though they don't, they might not make us happy in safety, security related jobs. Um, to be honest, I, I had never done any manual work because uh, when I started working as a legal counsel and a lawyer at uh, 20 years old, I start at uh, 28 years old. I started in a very comfortable position. I had an office, I had a stable team, I had regular hours and I had a good salary. So that was all I knew. And at like 36, I just, you know, realized that I was ready to try something completely different, something that was going to challenge me in almost every aspect of my life. Um, so that's that's also part of the reason why I did it. That's definitely out of the comfort zone. Is it hard? Is it hard work? I mean, you have had a little bit of experience now because I watch, as I say, I always try to chat a little bit with the flight attendants because I'm, I, I love what they do. And I, I, I was recently on a flight to Dubai and, and, and Emirates has this multicultural uh, uh, cruise. And um, I see them. It must be hard work, though. It's it's physically hard. Yes, it is physically hard, um, not just because we, you know, we, we carry around a lot of weight, be it because we 
build up the trolleys because we help passengers with um, luggage, but also because of, for example, the time zone differences, right? So we take a flight, we go to New York, we have um, a jet lag, we, we try, you know, to stay awake because otherwise it, it will get all messed up. But then at, like after 24 or 48 hours, we go back, we go back into the Swiss time zone. So um, that's a lot of, uh, you know, novelty for me in terms of uh, physical constraints as well. Yes. And difficult passengers can happen as well. How have your passengers been so far? Have they been behaving behaving well? Uh, yes, I had uh, like a really, really good passenger so far. I was lucky to have good crews as well. So, so far, uh, like no major uh, conflict. Um, but I, I do realize it's going to happen because, you know, I consider the plane to be a very special environment. I mean, you're, you're, you know, you're crammed together with a lot of other people that you don't know high above in the air. You have no way to escape. So I think that kind of environment um, is going to bring out maybe not the best in people all the time. So if they feel bad, they usually feel worse uh, in a plane just because of this feeling of probably also helplessness. So um, for us, we also need to deal with um, extreme emotional situations because passengers just they might be afraid, they might, you know, have another issue, they might uh, have a medical problem. And we have only limited possibilities to deal with that. But that's also part of what makes this job for me so attractive is because you need to be creative, you need to, you know, whatever you have, you need to use that, but, you know, try to make the journey as comfortable as possible for everyone on board. And I am sure that you know how to do this really well, because you are also doing all this other uh, personal development stuff, and that helps. I do hypnotherapy, and I have helped people uh, get rid of the fear of flying, because as you know, we own a fear is the biggest dream killer. And we only have two um, basic fears. Other, everything else is conditioned. The only two fears that we have is fear of flying and fear of loud noise, noises and everything else was told to us, um, you know, when we were children. This fear of flying, there are different kinds of fear of flying, I have learned. I mean, there is this one when you are in the air and there is a little hole or whatever and the plane jumps a bit that's natural I think everybody has this moment of oh my god but there are people who are so afraid of flying that they it starts a week before they travel you know it's not just uh, while they are in the air while you're in the air you know when something unusual happens because you said very very importantly it's the helplessness absolutely and you know funny enough I belong to the people that had such an amount of fear of flying that I did not fly for seven years in my teenage years. And um, that fear of being up there in the air was so strong that I could not take the plane. Um, and then when I finished um, the Kantonschule, the high school, I think it's called, mm -hmm. I just realized that, you know, I want to discover the world and it's not going to happen in, you know, by taking the bus. So I really forced myself and that was yeah, one of the difficult years, I think, um, that I had in terms of, you know, conquering my fears is that I forced myself to fly as much as possible and if possible alone. And I can tell you that the first flights were terrible and I was like crying the whole flight. And then, you know, the more flights I took, the less fear I had. And I think that's also what I meant before by, you know, going outside of my comfort zone. That, that was another instance where I went outside of my comfort zone to liberate myself of a fear that was completely irrational. It is completely irrational, but when it's in your head, it's difficult to get it out. Well done, though, that you managed to do this. Did you do it without any help? You just you just overcame it on your own. Um, I did. Though what helped me was talking to several pilots that I had met along the way, um, you know, just to understand a little bit about how safe a plane actually is. 
Now, uh, fear is emotional and, and the things about why planes fly is very technical, very intellectual. So um, it, it's probably not the only thing that helped, um, but it, it did you know, set the foundation for me being able to board a plane again. There is a statistics. I once read it. I don't remember exactly if it's if it's accurate or but you would have flying is so safe that you would have to fly 19,000 years every day to end up in a plane crash. Imagine that. 19,000. So, so, you know, chances are being hit by a, by a lightning is much bigger for <laughs> so, winning the lottery. <laughs> and how often do we win the lottery anyway? <laughs> yes, absolutely. So I think, I mean, we know it's, it's very safe and it's just a matter of, I guess, yeah, trusting, trusting the, your life or putting your life into the hands of the people sitting in a cockpit. And that's what's, uh, what's really hard for, uh, for some people. Yeah, that is true. But, um, I think having confidence and, and I, I find when the pilot speaks in the, to the people, that makes a big difference. I miss that a little bit. They don't do that as much anymore as they used to when I was young, when I was a tour guide, the pilots used to tell us where we are. Sometimes they would point something out. They would fly over a, over a town and they would uh, share it. I guess it's maybe a safety thing. I don't know what happened. Maybe it's just not done anymore. I'm one of those old-fashioned people. I don't listen to many things while I fly. I like to look out the window. Most people are just there with their earphones, so they don't care. But um, I think having con- confidence in the people who are taking you there, the flight attendants and the pilots is very, very important. Yes. And I mean, uh, you know, it's going to be important in a lot of aspects in our lives. I think flying is just like a symbol for, you know, the trust that we have to put into other people in in different areas in our lives. We, We are not an expert in everything. We need other people to guide us where we want to go. I mean, that can be a coach, that can be a a hypnotherapist, for example, as you mentioned before, that can be a pilot. But uh, I think we get to uh, moments in our life from time to time where we need other people. We need to to have that trust or to build that trust up uh, for us to to really you know develop and grow as as people because we cannot do it alone. Absolutely, and this is why these people are there. And I always say that asking for help is a sign of strength and not a sign of weakness. When we feel that we can't do something alone, we should go and ask somebody and uh, a specialist or sometimes a friend, sometimes just talking about something is enough. But I want you to just remember, I I remember something that I wanted to say before, because you probably know that, or maybe if you don't, you will like it. Dr. Wayne Dyer is one of my gurus. I used to read a lot about him. He's not alive anymore, but he says one thing about the comfort zone. He says that we all get a gift wrapped parcel for our birth. And most people don't even touch the wrapping. They never open that box. And that's about leaving the comfort zone and doing the things that we really love to do. Because you could have just stayed in that office and uh, sat on that lawyer's chair, but you are doing something amazing. And I have to tell you again, I admire you. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you for the idea. I didn't know it, to be honest, um, the symbol with the gift. But um, I do believe it's true because the human being is capable of so much. And I believe that because of social conventions, because of pressure that we put on ourselves, because of pressure sometimes that we get from our families as well, we don't really go looking for what we're capable of. So um, I I think it's a really, really nice uh, thought. It's a nice kind of a metaphor, yeah, to, to, to see. Now, coming back to your surroundings, friends and family, what did they say when you told them that you were going to leave that well-paid job and that you were going to become a flight attendant? 
I was surprised because the reaction was 100% positive. Um, I expected more of maybe some hesitation from some people, um, but I discovered that everybody just liked the idea. I think, you know, maybe it is precisely because some people play with the idea of changing their lives completely or doing some something radically different, but they might not have the courage to do it. So I think when they see somebody actually doing it, it kind of, you know, gives them hope maybe for, for themselves. It gives them inspiration. And, and that's what I felt. And it's also what um, supported me in that change because it wasn't easy. And it's still some, some topics are still not resolved for me. As you mentioned, for example, the finances, it's something I need to get used to. I need some time for that. Um, but it really helped me to know that the, the, the environment was really, really supportive. That's fantastic. Now, talking about... Um and uh, the things that you have experienced, because I want to go back a little bit. You were mentioning before that you were afraid of flying, but then you did start traveling a lot because I went through your list of beautiful things that you have done. And there is like one mention, being in a hot air balloon over the over the Serengeti or seeing the Northern Lights, or you watched the center of our galaxy on the warm sand of the Libyan desert. That is amazing. I mean, Tell me a little bit about Libya, for example. Did you did you travel to Libya? Uh, yes, I did. That was uh, some time ago, together with my parents. Um, that was, you know, before the change in, in the political system. So it was probably still easier to travel there. But we were part of a group um, that went, a small group that went into the desert with camels. And we spent basically two weeks traveling with camels and the Tuareg that also cooked for us in the evening. And it was a very, very slow um, type of traveling, but it just left so much space for reflection and also seeing the beauty of nature. And you know what happened during these two weeks? It rained. And oh. that's so uncommon, right, for the desert. And it, the, like the storm was so strong, it, we could almost not get away from it because, I mean, in the desert, it's quite difficult to hide. Um, but the next morning, I was so, so touched. The next morning, the whole dunes were covered in little plants. So the desert was green. And that was one of the much, most magical moments that I've ever experienced. And I think these magical moments, at least for me, um, they wait for me when I when I go out, when I start traveling, when I when I meet people. That's that's really where I come alive. And that's also why I listed some of my positive experiences on my website, because I just want to inspire people to go out and uh, start experiencing. I get goosebumps listening to that because the, the desert changes colors five times a day. Every time the, the, the different sun, sunrise, sunset during the day. So and, uh, you know, what you are saying about the little plants, because I live in Cyprus and I go walking in a little forest, which is on the beach, which is there's sand. It's it's uh, trees growing in the sand but now it has started raining and as soon as it starts raining as you say the first second day there is something growing something green comes out it's amazing nature is something very very amazing and it does whatever it wants yes and it does not judge that's something else that you know I love about nature is that nature is just there for you to enjoy. It does not judge you. You can have a really bad day. You go into the forest and you start to feel better because the trees, the plants, the animals, they're just there. They're uh, going about their life. Um, and they, I mean, they take notice of you, I guess, but they don't put you into boxes. They don't judge you. So in a way, they're really different from human beings. And I think that's also where why I personally like to go into nature to recharge, to resource 
and to fill up my batteries. Very much so. And nature, they never compare those trees or those flowers. And one thing that really I love is that sunflowers, when there is no more sun anymore, they turn towards each other. Wow, I didn't even know that. Yes, I, I may, maybe it's not true, but I think it's true. I read that a few times and I, that's why it's my favorite flower, the sunflower. Um where else did you feel like, do you have a favorite place? I, I know that this is stupid. People ask me that and I think it's a stupid question, but I'm asking you anyway. Um, I don't think it's a stupid question. It's just a hard question to answer. I mean, I've traveled to 70 countries, so I've got something to choose from. But it's it's difficult to answer because I think each and every country has beautiful sides to it. I remember, for example, uh, traveling through Southeast Asia and Laos in particular stuck out because of the color of the, the earth. Um, it was such a warm, such a welcoming color. And the people were so friendly, pretty poor, but very, very friendly. So that's the thing that I loved about uh, Laos. But then you mentioned the Northern Lights before. I went to Finland in winter where, you know, the sun doesn't shine. It just doesn't come up. So you're in total darkness, which in itself can be quite depressing. But then you look, look up and you see these beautiful lights, like it's out of this world almost. I couldn't believe my eyes when I first saw Northern Light. Um, and that's what I loved about uh, about Finland. Or there's, for example, Iceland with its beautiful um, waterfalls. It's absolutely impressive waterfalls. And I went to Iceland in winter as well. So everything was frozen. It was such a magical place, almost like in Disney, uh, in a Disney film. And these kind of encounters with nature, they just make me dream. And they just make me want to go even further. Uh, for example, to I'm, I'm going to go to um, Saudi Arabia in next February. Um, and I want to go to these countries, especially before they become very uh, touristy. You know, you can, you can get in touch with, the people there, and they don't know how to deal with tourists. And that's really where the authenticity of a country uh, shines, I believe. Yes. And I think it's also very important that um, we demystify or, I don't know, de-taboo de these countries because they are beautiful countries. And and my, I always say we're all the same. People are all the same. It's just very often it's the media or, or I don't know, propaganda or stuff. My daughter traveled in Iran for six weeks and she absolutely loved it. And, and you know, when we when you hear the word, many people, when they hear the word Iran, it's like, no, how, you know, how can you do that? And it's just surely the same. I haven't been to Saudi Arabia because it hasn't been open really, but it's opening up and it's a very, very beautiful country. Yes, that's uh, what I hear. And I actually saw... Um, the advertisement for Saudi Arabia when I traveled to Oman uh, very recently, a few months ago. And Oman is also a country that is not used to tourism. You can see that they, they don't know how to deal with tourists. Um, for example, if you're looking for something in particular, like a site, you might not find the road towards there because there's no signs or the signs have been, been turn, turn, uh, turned down. And um, I had the most beautiful encounters with these people um, even though they didn't speak English and I couldn't speak Arabic, but we managed to communicate somehow. Um, I, for example, I met a, a civil judge. We found out because we used Google Translate. We sat around the fire and he came and we just tried to talk to each other about, you know, what passions us. And, and I mean, that's so magical for me. 
How amazing. Very. Yeah. So, so true. And I, I agree. You don't need to be able to speak the same language. If you, if you want to understand each other, you can understand. Of course it helps. Of course you cannot have a, an intellectual conversation, but I think one of our biggest issues in life is being judgmental and being racist. Basically many, many people are, and racism is another thing that we are not born with. It's another thing that we are taught. And um, when you look at the playground and you see kids playing, they don't choose their save the same color or they they don't exclude. They, they it, It's about talking about, uh, you know, the way they are brought up. That's when things change. Uh-huh. So racism is not a nice thing. And uh, judgment is not a nice thing. And I am sure that in in your work, what you are doing right now, it's important not to judge. Absolutely, um, because we get in touch with so many different cultures that we might not know in detail or we have, might not know at all. And I think it's important to to maintain an open heart and an open mind when we interact with you know different cultures, different people, and they might say something or do something that we cannot really understand, and that maybe very quickly we're going to judge, as you mentioned before. But I think it's important to take a step back and to really try to understand why they might be doing that. And if we don't understand it, just maybe not judge because they they have their reasons for doing that. So um, it's it's absolutely important. And I think traveling does help uh, a lot to to have that open heart and open mind to understand other people. That is so true. It really, really brings us together. And when you look out of the plane window, you don't see any borders. Yes, absolutely. That's a really, really nice thought as well. Yes. Now, coming back a little bit to peak performance, because peak performance happened before the flying. It's kind of something that you do on the side, because I remember when we were talking the first time, you also told me that you did an NLP training. (laughs) Yes. um, So peak performance is a little project that was created in 2020. It's my very own uh, pandemic project, so to say. I think the pandemic especially helped me to take a step back and to get some time to reflect because my work radically changed. Um, I worked seven days a week instead of five, but I worked less um, overall. So I did have some time to reflect on my own life and my own values. And that's also where it really came to me that there are so many people putting their dreams away for later. And I just remembered so many people as well that put them away for later and never got to experience them, either because they had an accident, they weren't able to do them anymore. So for some reason, like I was able in in a couple of days only to put down my thoughts on this uh, topic uh, in the form of a website where I just want to inspire people to take action now. Yeah. Yeah. And I think NLP and emotional intelligence and all this stuff should be taught in primary school instead of forcing children to learn things that they will never use in their lives, because this is what helps us understand each other better and and uh, getting on with each other. I think those are very, very important things and they are very often neglected. And, you know, that's why I was teasing you before about the money. Very often it's it's people do, people spend their whole life doing a job that they don't like. And that's a sad, that's a sad story, really. That's a sad story because we have no second chance to do it right. It's It's one life. And I think It's also important to realize that we are fully responsible for that life. Uh, There's nobody to blame. Um, Of course, there's events that are out of our control that happen to us and where we can feel like a victim at times. But I think it's really important to, to realize that over time we are 
taking the decisions every single day. We're taking the decisions to go to the office to do a job that makes us miserable, if that is the case, or to change. And change is hard. Change requires a price. Nothing comes for free. So you need to be able to give up certain things, like your comfort zone, as we said before. Um, but we can we can decide. We can choose. We can choose happiness. Absolutely. And we can, as you say, circumstances are there, things happen, or as I say, shit happens, but it's not about what happens. It's about how we react to it and what we make of it, because it's a life is just a continuous learning journey. It's a journey, a most memorable journey, as my podcast is called. And um, it really is about how we deal with situation. Life, our life is the result of our choices. Yes, I absolutely agree. And I think my NLP training also help me to to realize that and to help me you know uh, uh, see my life from different angles because it just opens up a world of possibilities all of a sudden when you understand how your mind works how your um, your beliefs can uh, tie you down can can restrict you and we when you start to break these up um, and realize that you're free to to even choose your new beliefs. And that's really where I think it starts to get easier to to write your own life story. And and NLP was an important path um, in my life. That's when you understand how powerful you really are. We are we are powerful beyond our uh, imagination if we want to. Now, let's come back a little bit to the profession of a flight attendant, because there may be people listening to us. Maybe you, we have inspired some people who just decided that they would want to give it a shot. How long is the training for a, a, a Swiss flight attendant? And I'm sure it's similar in, in most airlines. Uh, yes. So I can only talk for Swiss, but um, the training is relatively short. So it's about uh, two months and three weeks of um, training. So uh, first, it's a block of six weeks where you have a lot of theory in terms of service, in terms of safety, security, in terms of communication as well, different cultures, etc. And then there is a period of uh, three to four weeks where you train on the plane. So you get to train the things that you learned in school. And then you come back for one week for the long haul training and then you get to train on the long haul flight. So we don't have a waiting period for long haul flights, uh, which is really, really good. Um, we get to be trained on, on both uh, types and you get one uh, type of plane and then um, after time you're going to get another one, uh, another long haul plane. So it basically gradually builds up. And how long does it take until you get to fly actually for the first time? That is during that training. I think we talked, you were you had finished your short haul training and you were then flying already before you continued your long haul. Yes, exactly. So after about, I think, three or four weeks, you go on it's like a one special flight where uh, you don't wear the uniform yet but you just get some first experience uh, you can you can watch your colleagues uh, do the work basically you can ask questions and then after the six weeks the first six weeks of training you get to fly on the plane so um, it's a really short period of of uh, schooling really before you get some practice in the air where did you go on your first flight without uniform <laughs> I went to uh, Rome and back. And where did you go on your first flight in uniform? Yeah, that was uh, like three days in a row. Uh, we I tried to remember. We went to uh, to Rome uh, in a night stop as well. So 
uh, basically being there uh, during the night. We went to Paris, we went to London, we went to uh, Stuttgart and uh, Venice, I think, as well. So there's a lot of destinations already. Those are mostly turnarounds. You don't get to stay on the shore at all. Uh, you do get to stay. Um, I mean, usually it's it's a short period of time. You arrive either at night and then you leave the next, like at midday, or you arrive at midday and you leave uh, the next morning. So you do get to enjoy these cities as well. You get time for a walk and a meal and uh, every time you come back, you know, it a little better because, you know, people say, ah, you know, it's not like it used to be anymore when they go to stay so long. But I think you still have time to do stuff. Yes, you do. Um, I Since I don't have a comparison, I'm not sure how it um, it's different nowadays. Um, it's probably a bit shorter, but you do get the time to explore a city, to meet people. And I know a lot of people that have their favorite cafes or restaurants in certain places. I have one friend who tells me that she knows San Francisco almost as well as she knows Zurich. Um, so for me, um, look, it's a, it's a different kind of traveling. It's not like the most touristy type of traveling because you don't have the time. You don't necessarily have the time to go uh, to the Eiffel Tower, to a museum, and then to the Seine, for example. But you get to explore it on a regular basis because you might end up in the same city maybe twice, three times a month. I remember the good old times when I was a Kuwani tour guide and we used to fly on Swiss and uh, it's not Swiss, Swiss there. And we always used to get upgraded. Those were the days as, uh, you know, it was, <laughs> I used to wear my uniform on purpose. So uh, they would understand and recognize me and put me in business class. But of course, these things have changed as well. But it's still a, a fantastic job. It's a fantastic life. And I say in my introduction in this podcast that my favorite smell is airplane kerosene. And my favorite sound is hearing the champagne cork pop in the business class. <laughs> um, yes, I, I think, you know, flying still, you can you can have, you know, thoughts on the environment, um, which then makes it difficult for you to fly. But I think flying in general is still something that makes people dream. And that's probably what you refer to as well. So we, we say we have kerosene in our blood. Um, we're, you know, a, probably a, a special kind of, of, of person that just likes to be out there, likes to go places, likes to um, to be on the move uh, a, a lot of the time. So, yeah, that's definitely something that I can relate to. Yeah, I'm one of them. And when I was very young, when I, after my, my apprenticeship, I went to Geneva to um, spend some time to learn French and more English. I was working for an American company and I used to take the bus to go to the airport just to look. I had wow. no, I wasn't traveling, but I was so fascinated by this whole stuff that I just went and sat at the airport for a while and went back home. So it's in our blood. I didn't know that we have, it's like kerosene in our blood. I definitely, my blood is, probably about 90% kerosene. <laughs> That's good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> We're getting to the end, Noemi. Any last words? Any um, wisdom? Oh, wow. Um, yes, I think, you know, there. I have my reasons to change jobs and I have other reasons to go public with this change. And it's not about, you know, me wanting to be in the center of attention. It's really what, what I want to do is carry on a message. Um, and that message would be 
that it's absolutely possible to radically change your life if this is what you want to do. If your old life does not make you happy, and that can be a relationship, that can be a job, that can be the city you live in, then it's absolutely possible to change. And I just want to encourage people to do that change because, as we said before, we have one single life. We have one shot to get it right. There's no second chance. And courage does not mean like not to be afraid. Courage means doing something despite being afraid. And that's really what, what I want to encourage people to do. And what I want to inspire people to do is go for their own happiness, have the courage to pursue their own happiness. Wow, that is absolutely beautiful. I don't think we could have ended this any better. I wish you many, many, many happy landings, many happy passengers and lots of fun wherever you go. Thank you so much for being on Most Memorable Journeys today. Noemi Frischknecht. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. It was a pleasure for me to be here on your podcast. If you enjoy my podcast, please like, share and subscribe to my channel. You will find all the information in the show notes.